Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Scroobius Pip and this is the Distraction Pieces podcast and my lord have we got a special one for you today. Um, it's another one where we've done a special on a Friday. We don't normally put these out on a Friday but uh, this one came up and yeah you'll see why it it was much needed and urgent. Um, we're doing this as part of uh, the Red Cross R- Refugee Week Um Basically, I'll give you a brief explanation of what's happened here. Um, I've teamed up with the Red Cross um, on a project called the Long Road EP, and they're getting a number of artists to they're they're select they're pairing up artists and um, a, a refugees uh, who have you know particularly amazing stories um and the artists are getting a chance to to sit and and talk to these these people um to get an idea of their story and then then we go away and we write a song based on their experiences or about uh the things that shone through for us and when we were discussing this i kind of realized that well the best way to get the information um, required and to get a real feel of things would be for me to sit down with uh, my selected person and talk for a while and record it. And that's essentially what my podcast is. So I figured it'd be great, particularly as the podcast is growing and growing and it's, it's a reach, it'd be great to, to make this into a podcast. So this podcast is essentially my research. The point of the project is... In the recent election and in recent years in general, immigration and all that kind of thing has been a huge topic and it's kind of warped our view on what an immigrant is. I don't know, I'll kind of it's more depersonalised it. An immigrant is a thing rather than an individual. Um, and the point of this project is to show the amazing individual stories that that, that, that each person has. I discuss in the podcast with uh, Romel, who I was paired up with, who absolutely inspirational this is as I said I tweeted earlier in the, I tweeted as soon as I finished this that we've just recorded a hell of a podcast um so yeah an, an amazing individual and a joy to meet um I discussed in the podcast with her that it's hard in general for the human brain to compute the fact that when you walk down the street I'm just talking in general every person you walk past particularly in, imagine in, in London, you walk past thousands of people to try and perceive the fact that each of them has a life as intricate as your own. It's, it's, it's mind, mind boggling. We can't really handle that as a, as a species. It's, it's why we tend to focus on our own lives a lot, which is absolutely fine and natural. Um, so yeah, if you then take it a longer section and we're, we're talking about a group of people who, again, had talked about so much but as a name on a, f- a form and an asylum seeker a refugee an immigrant all these things we've really dehumanized them so again yeah the point was to sit down and chat normally i should mention at this point i'll sling an advert in for my a record label um i'm not even going to go into that today if you'd like to look into that it's all on google my name's scroobius pip you can find me um but today I just want to get into this podcast and let you hear this amazing discussion. So I will say no more. This is episode number 42 of the Distraction Pieces podcast, part of Refugee Week for the Red Cross with Ramel, an asylum seeker.
There's no big pressure start. I'm joined by uh, Ramel, and and we were just discussing that you're doing some writing now, and you write and sing. And yeah, I write and sing. Yeah, I'm working actually on my first album as well. Finished recording. So uh, oh yeah. wow! Yeah. And what kind of stuff is it? It's more. I like doing gospel music yeah. and more community-based kind of lyrics. You know, That's encouraging cool. people to yeah. keep going. That's beautiful. What kind of yeah. things are you? Uh, what kind of music are you into? In general? Everything really. Um, I mean, I do a bit of pop. I do zook. I don't know. It's Not like. Familiar uh, with zook. Tell me about zook. Educate it's, me on zook. Uh, <laughs> it's more like French style, but coming from the island, you know, oh, like wow, the yeah. Caribbean island, yeah. you know, the French Caribbean island. So it's like their style of music. Um, I do a bit of R&B. Yeah. I do a bit. Of uh, Afrobeat, so I like a, a Amazing, bit. Uh, good what else did I do in that album? Yeah, but I touch a bit everything really, because sometimes when I do the Zulu, like the South, South African beat, people usually come and start talking to me in yeah. their language, thinking I'm South African. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to be fair, we've learned before we started our rolling that you do speak five languages <laughs> yes, fluently. So what, yeah. which languages was it? Even when you told me, I knew three of them. <laughs> I'd heard of three of them and a couple I was like, I don't know what that is. Well, I speak English, yep. obviously. Yeah. Uh, French, Lingala, Chiluba and a bit of Swahili. Amazing. Yeah, and, and I can find my way asking to speak to somebody or where to go in a, uh, in Lebanese language as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And... and <laughs> And how did that come about? Is that from kind of just a, a travelling a lot, I guess, and naturally Oh, no, really, because in, in Congo, it... uh, obviously being a French uh, territory, yeah. the official language is French, so anybody who went to school have to speak French because, you know, all the official stuff is in yep. French. Yep. But then we've got four national languages, oh, wow. uh, which is Lingala, Swahili, Kikongo, and Chiluba, and yep. Chiluba is just my parent, uh, a mother language, so I picked that. So obviously, a normal Congolese speaks at least two languages. So uh, the official language, which is French, and then one of the uh, national language. Yeah. But we usually speak two, three. And then, and then, reluctantly, everyone has to learn English at some point because that's how we tend to, yeah. to push it upon everyone. It's spreading over the world. I think English is one of the most easy language to learn. Oh, really? That's yeah. fascinating to know. Yeah, I mean, the grammar is really easy. You know, it's the he and she. You know, it's not like in French where you've got all these rules. Yeah. And and then they say no, but accept. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, that's so. that's confusing. So, um, we were, oh, we sat here today, and it's it's, it's been arranged by the British Red Cross and mm -hmm. the point of this um, we're going to have a big long chat about your whole life basically which yeah. I've read up on and it's absolutely amazing and inspiring haunting at points but just amazing particularly as we sat here now just <laughs> ch chatting happily um, and then I'm going to go away um, and, 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 and write about it and be in inspired to write some kind of lyrics and, and, and music about it so that's an exciting a project in itself but um Let's start off. You've touched that you uh, grew up in the a Democratic a Republic of Congo. Yeah. Um, how? How? I mean, it's a, a broad question here. How was that? Obviously, it was f uh, since like the late nineties 
there's been a civil war there and it's been a tough place to yeah, exist. Yeah, been, but I think what happened is that up to when I, I, I left in the capital, we were quite safe. So the war was always more uh, in the east part yeah. of the country. But then, you know, when the um, Kabila then came uh, um, in power, everything went a bit upside down and he started targeting anybody who was like um, uh, working or in, in connection with Mobutu. So. Um I got to interject just briefly here on the podcast. Um, after we recorded the conversation and indeed the intros, there was um, a few s- subjects or topics or more just small details that, that Ramel uh, wasn't comfortable with. So, number one, don't worry. It's it's not stuff that's crucial to the story or anything I like that. And uh, kind of either way, the... The first priority is her comfort and her being okay with everything here because she shares, as you will go on to hear, she shares an awful lot. So, yeah, there's going to be a one or two points where we fade out and fade back up. But also I should mention that, as you will have probably already noticed, as I mentioned in the intro, this is one of the most nervous I've been for a a podcast. It also meant I stuttered more than I think on any episode uh, because of that slight nerves over such a serious subject so apologies for that I do have a stutter many of you will be aware but I'd imagine we'll get a lot of first-time listeners to this so I feel I should have I should have mentioned that in the intro um but yeah enjoy the rest of the podcast and excuse the brief fades in and fades out just starting off off with that it's fascinating that the kind of situation of it was all right at first because it was in 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 another part of the country in the yeah. uk if part of the country is at war it's it's you, you'd be the whole country would fall apart and be in panic so it's an amazing thing that it was seen as quite normal and comfortable or, or livable at least when part of the war is it's not really like normal and comfortable but it's what's happening in congo is that they they hide information so we don't know what's right, happening of course yeah i think the first time when so there's we, a lack of an awareness yeah, of how dangerous because the government don't want you to know what's going on in another part of the country so most of the time even we know what's happening by looking uh, by watching the international news because yeah. the local news itself won't say because obviously whatever happened in the the other part of the country is like anti-government but anything that comes on the tv it has to be uh, pro-government so so we don't know so you know what you don't know can't harm you obviously but the first time we had uh, a sense of what was going on is when the people from the east are being displaced you know so they start coming in 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 the capital so themselves you'll be with them in the school they'll tell you what's going on this is how we knew yeah the hearing of this news and story directly person to person rather yeah. than over the news, over the yeah. internet. They, the actual people have come here and said, here's what's going on out yeah. there. You don't, it's, it's literally over there. You know, yeah. it's literally over there. Here's what's, what's going yeah. on. So, so how was that to, to suddenly start to hear and how quick a, re- a realisation was it that you kind of had to... To, to leave. To, uh, to leave. It's instant. You, you don't have time as soon to as think. The power was yeah, because when power when shifted. when they get there, they start targeting every houses where because wow. obviously they, they've been tips or they they know who's who. Because it was quite well settled. It was quite easy because obviously Africa being Africa, <coughs> you just pay or bribe somebody, and right, it's yeah, really easy to find your way uh, to anywhere you wanted to yeah. go. Yeah. 
Yes. So. so where did you initially flee to? We first of all went across the border, so we went to the other uh, the other Congo. Yeah. And uh, but from there, my dad um, got in touch again with some of his friends, and they decided to try to um, go work more in the east and. Uh, that's really, I think, the wrong decision we took yeah. as a family. So particularly as that's where everything had been bubbling over for a longer time. Uh, yeah. So so what was the... Uh, uh, what welcomed you in the East, essentially? What was the situation there? Well, I did. we didn't stay much long there because mainly we just went to um, see my dad that Christmas, really, right. and uh, but everything just went wrongly from there. Yeah, yeah. yes. So what was... The, uh, the next step, obviously, you, uh, 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 it was a few years on you ended up uh, making your way to the UK, but what was mm-hmm. the the path uh, between that and, and what was the, the catalyst for having to, or for realising you can't just move along the country, you need to... Yeah, well, war, war started very badly um, down there and... Um, I mean, I'm not really going to go into the details of, of all course, the no, horror, but uh, I didn't have no choice, you know. Um, yeah. I, um, I was lucky enough um, to be helped by one of my friend, my dad's friends, and uh, he took me out. And normally we're supposed to take my brothers out as well, but unfortunately it didn't, you know, really kind of happen, and um, that's how I found my way here, really. So, so you... Got to escape, and again, just for people who who won't know, again, we don't need to go into to any detail at all. But in general, at that point, people were, um, you know, arrested, detained, tortured, tr- just treated appallingly um, yeah. to the extent of, um, and again, it's because the the regime has changed, and therefore yeah. everyone who was previously um, aligned to the previous regime is seen as a threat or seen as essentially a war with the state. So. Yeah. The treatment. I mean, everyone sitting here in England, are watching war films, knows the yeah. kind of horrible stuff that can go on during war, and that's kind of that then brews up within your own country. So yeah. it's it's it gives you n- no choice essentially than uh, to escape. How was it? Um, of <sighs> odd question. Um, so the the idea was that that you were essentially going ahead and that the rest of your family hopefully would join We were would supposed you, to, to flee together because um, what happened is that when these people comes into your home, into your villages and everything, you know, it, it would be nice actually if they can just use their, their weapons, you know, at least, you know, they hurt you. Yeah. You can either die or uh, make it. But what they do is the, um, they use another kind of weapon that you, you, you're going to bury and carry your whole life, you yeah. know. They rape people, uh, they, they, they kill your family in front of your own eyes. And th- this is something you, you, you can't take. You can't, you have to leave with. It's, it's a wound that can't be bandaged yeah, up. Yeah, it can't, can't be. And yeah, so when things like that horrible. happen, between the time you try to run from one home into another and try to, to, to find what you left behind, is it's just a matter of minutes. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. For me, it was just one night, my whole life changed, never yeah. been the same again. And the, again, in, a, in an unimaginable situation like that, there's no... Again, a, a, a thing I think a lot of people misunderstand is that people think, oh, I think it would be nicer to go here or to go there. 
it's not a choice. It's, it's, it's I need to be anywhere other than here right now. Yeah. Um, and when you made it uh, uh, to the UK in 2003, it was far from perfect here either. So, so yeah. what was the kind of, of journey? How did you... Can you? Are you uh, open to talk about how you... You literally got here. Yeah, I've been helped. I mean, it, it was just a matter for trying to move from one border, uh, one country to another through so the borders. So a gradual borders. passing through yeah. each place. Yeah, and um, well, as I say, my dad friend's been really helpful to me. So he arranged it, it all uh, until we arrived here. So, so that's um, amazing. So, so you had someone who could arrange that kind of the logistics of that gradual process of going yeah. from one country to the next to country another. to the next country until yeah. you're until until you're in the UK um so you arrived in the UK again I'm gonna I just want to stress I, I said this before we started but I realized not on 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 the mic if there's anything you don't want to talk about you're yeah. more than welcome to we're here to just talk because I think the end of your story is the thing I'm most excited about and most <laughs> wanting to talk about. So, yeah. But this is all the, obviously, essential groundwork. So you got to the UK, um, probably expecting everything to be nice now you've got here, that you've escaped, and, and what kind of For me, welcome, coming if to you can the call UK, it a welcome, did you get? What, what I was hoping is, because <coughs> obviously I've been to school and I knew all about human rights and everything. Yeah. So for me, my first step was like, oh, I have to get there and tell somebody what's going on and... Uh, I was just hoping, you know, I will be safe. First of all, that's what yeah. I wanted because I knew the kind of country the UK is. Nobody can come and, you know, shoot you or rape you or harm you yeah. with no justice. So, I, you know, I wanted to, to to say that what happened to me. But urgently, I needed to locate my family as well and know yeah, what's happened to them. But uh, it was far... <laughs> It was really um, far from what I thought. So. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it, it sounds crazy to think of, of those things that we live under every day as, or, or we take them for granted. But the fact that you were, you know, excited to be somewhere where you couldn't be shot or raped or attacked, you know, just 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 freely is is mind boggling. But so uh, uh, upon your arrival, um, yeah, I don't know. It was I. How old were you at that point? Do you well, know roughly how old I you were? I think I was about 22. About 22. So, again, had you been prepared for what to do when you get here or where to you, go? You know, you you've know, had a lot of help to get here, but then yeah, the, the thought I would imagine from a horrible situation like that, which, as you said, is a, a split second, right, we need to get out, mm-hmm. the thought probably is, right, we need to get you into the UK rather than thinking about what you actually do when you get there. Um, you're not really prepared. I think the the thing is, as human being, when you go through trauma, we we tend to think that the first human being you will meet again, once you tell them what you're going through, they're going to feel for you. And the real shock is when actually you don't get any response, oh, wow. and you th- that's where the shock comes. Uh, do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. I'm very hungry, uh, and I've been hungry for 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 weeks. So when I see you having too much food. I'm like, please excuse me. I'm really hungry. Can I have a bit of that? And seeing you looking at me down, down at me, and telling me, well, no, really, you know, I don't understand that because yeah. it's like it's too much for you. Why can you not just give me a piece? But with the home offices, I think they have this conception that everybody is educated, or because they, I think they put, they, they think everybody um, 
uh, uh, illegal migrant, as they call them. So mm -hmm. they, they think we, we all prepare ourselves to go and say a story so we know what to say, we, we know the law. So right. obviously when you face them for the first time, for me it was hard because they keep asking me, what have you come to do here? And I, I just went blah, you know, yeah. telling them, oh, this is what happened to me. And they're like, no, 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 no. What have you come to do here? I'm, I'm like, blah, again, you know. Yeah. But what they wanted me to say before they can even sit down and listen to me is to seek asylum. But yet I didn't know what was seeking asylum. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I couldn't say a sentence that I didn't know what it meant. Right, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, but again, again there's such a... I mean? And again, this isn't and this is necessarily a, a, a criticism, but there's clearly such a set-up, a bu bureaucracy and way of doing things that if you're genuinely here to seek asylum, you wouldn't have had time to learn the ins <laughs> no. and outs. You know, if, yeah. if you've had, in reality, if you've had time to learn the ins and outs and what needs to be said, you're probably not in as desperate a situation as those who haven't. If you've, yeah. if you've come here because you, your life depended on it, you don't know to say that. And it's, it's interesting what you were saying about... Um, people's a, a, a reaction to your needs um, yeah. at the time because it's something that we become huge it's so hard i think and i think this in general for people to imagine that every single person in that street has their own intricate a life story yeah because we've all got our own lives that are so involved and so we know everything that's affected our day the thought that every single person that even comes slightly into your sight has equally an intricate story it's too much for the brain to compute at times. And yeah. I think that it then makes people, wrongly, it, it, it then makes people kind of numb to the needs of others. So yeah. if someone, because if you if you walk around London, there will be a, a certain amount of people that, that want money or want food, people become numb to that and don't, again, if you actually sat down, and one of the, po the points of this of this. this this conversation, in fact, is to show that everyone has their own story. So you got to the UK and struggled at the at the border control. Um, how did you end up... How was that resolved in the end? Because you ended up a, a homeless, essentially, for yeah. a long time. But how did you get through the border control, I guess? Uh, well, I, I think um, because we were not getting... Uh, um, um, understanding each other i think it was actually the interpreter interpreting me um because obviously i was speaking in in, in my own language with yeah. him who explained me actually tipped me and say actually you have to tell them you you you, you want to asylum. seek asylum yeah. otherwise you you'll be sitting here for a while so then yeah. I, I say that then you know, then we this process started, but unfortunately, it's strange that there's a magic word. How, how, yeah. how, how um, <laughs> archaic is is that? That essentially, to get into the country, you need to say the magic password of yeah. unseeking asylum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I think that's what people don't understand. Um, unless you've been told about it, educated about yeah. it, most of the world don't know that you seek asylum. The, Do you know yeah, what I mean? That's it. The fact is, the story that you've already told, and that you would have told them makes it very clear yeah. of what you need and require. Yeah. So the fact that you need to specifically ask for asylum is it's bizarre to me. But yeah. So that, that kind of got you through in the end. Um, what was your process then for... Because obviously you said you obviously you needed um, f f food and care, but also you were concerned about the 
of, of how your family were what was your process in trying to find out about that or was that um, something that had to go on the back burner uh, what happened is that um first of all after that they did give me uh, they, they, they sent me um to some places that where I was supposed to have some accommodation for the night. But again, um, I, I arrive in the country, I can barely speak the language, don't know anything about London. Yeah. Mind you, people living in London, sometimes they can't find their way in London. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, thinking about me coming from a foreign country and they would yeah. just tell you, go this and there. So by the time I reached that place, it was closed already because I couldn't right. find my way. And... Um, Obviously, that night we slept outside because it was quite a big group. We were about 10 people. We slept outside till the so, following morning. So were they people that all travelled with you or was that people you'd met uh, initially got through the... Um, the oh, the that's after we've been actually initially to, to, to the first screening, as they yeah, used to sure. call it. So uh, we needed to go to that place that was supposed to accommodate us for the night, but yeah. the place was closed. So obviously so a group we... Of you now yeah, after. sleeping just outside, really. Yeah. We just slept outside until the following morning. Oh, oh, what did you have with you at this point? Obviously, a, a leaving immediately, essentially, would not leave you a lot of time to grab any personal oh, yeah. items so was yeah. there anything was it literally I the clothes you were wearing I just had a small bla- a bag with uh, some some few clothes that we grabbed uh, on the way but yeah. that was about it really no money and, no nothing and what t- a t- time of year was this obviously to be gr- greeted to your first night of being sleeping on the street or uh, was it gracious in that it was it's quite cold. Nice. Was it quite cold? Yeah. I mean, for me, you can imagine. I'm, I was coming from somewhere where it's twenty-eight degrees, thirty degrees. Yeah, so yeah, even I, if it's fifteen degrees, I realised really as cold. I said that that the British, <laughs> the British version of quite nice and quite yeah. warm is going to be far. It take a long time to acclimatise to. Yeah. So I mean, I'm used to the weather now, but back then it was yeah. it was quite cold, and uh, it, it was quite cold that yeah. night. Really, yeah. So, so where did it? It, it, it go from there. Obviously, you're meant to have a place for accommodation, but but you've had to spend your first night on the street. What yeah. was the the process? Then? The following day, they placed us into a, an hotel. Um, I think it was not from from Br- 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 Bristol, Bristol, or I can't remember. A Brixton or Bristol? Uh, a Brixton in London, I yeah, assume. In yeah, London. Brixton. So in South yeah. London. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't. It was somewhere there, and uh, I had that committee I mean, I had support for three months or something, but then there were the big god that came over over me, the big god that I used to call Section 55, so it was um, a cut of support, so you were not not allowed to have no support at all, and there were no right to appeal to that. So you've you've come from unimaginable (laughs) terror, and essentially you've got three months to sort all that out, and Uh, then all support is gone and all... Yeah. All guidance is gone. Yeah. Um, so, so what happened then? Um, or was it a return to the streets and return to... Well, I, the good thing is, I think, it's good to have people who still have um, good heart yeah. and the uh, support that the uh, migrant community themselves they give to each other uh, is right. really major and capital for other migrants because that's that's what happened after that i went into a people's home from one home into another because i accessed some uh there used to be a a a congolese association or group something 
uh, back in the days mm-hmm. approached them and they put me through the community and from from there I just start sofa surfing uh, yeah. bed to bed until somebody could take me uh, for a longer period in their house but they were they used to live in Liverpool this is how I find myself in uh, in Liverpool and in Liverpool I met up then with some charity yeah. as well and again I want to uh, appreciate the work of charity organization in yeah, the sure. life of migrant because then um, the charity I approached in Liverpool was called Charity Link yeah. and they are the one who actually supported me for two, three years. Yeah, wow. uh, normally I was meant to have only a six month uh, uh, support with them but they couldn't send us back in the street again so yeah. they just keep supporting us until they really exhausted their fans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it, we were back again on sofa surfing and house to house. So, I mean, a situation like that where I'd imagine every part of your day is focused on trying to figure out where you're sleeping, that how you're surviving, doesn't particularly lend a lot of time to, to figure out what you're going to do, what you're, you know, to, to find work, to find... Well, you don't really have to think about that because you're not allowed to do anything. Oh, of course, yeah. You're not allowed to take your own decision. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to do anything. So even if you wanted at that point to to work, if if someone in the community or in the the charities had options for you, it's not an option because you're you're seeking asylum. You're yeah. not an official official member of the. That's even a good word you're using. That you're seeking asylum. That's giving us respect because of from the home office point of view is that you failed asylum yeah. <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean so that's the lowest of the law you can have as a title in this society because yeah. it's like you, you're underground you don't exist yeah. you're still here but you don't exist for them yeah that's crazy isn't it so, so how so what came next I'd imagine that a, 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 that situation would lead you to yeah just isn't isn't there's no real obvious positive roots there I can only imagine that you're going to end up in more and more desperate or unpleasant situations. Well, for, for me, I mean, it pushed me into depression, but very bad. And um, I had to leave as well with the fact that um, uh, I, I was having flashbacks and, uh, you know, from everything that I... I'll tell you what, um, the first year I arrived here, um, I think it's in July or something like that. I didn't know I was coming back from college because at least back in the day we can still go college. And I was coming back from college and I just uh, hear boom, boom, boom everywhere. And I throw myself on the floor. I panicked. I, you know, it was really horrible. I didn't know yeah. what was going on. I was hiding behind cars and people look at me as if I was mad. I thought it was war again. So I thought it was people shooting again. Yeah. But it was only boom, fire night. Right. Do, do you know what I mean? So it's simple oh, wow. things like yeah. that. Do you know? And uh, every... And small just... just- cultural differences that aren't going to be taken into account and they're going to, yeah. It, it really sounds like gowns. You know, that sounds in my country is it, war. Yeah. You know, and uh, so it's things like that. You, you still have up to now when it's bonfire and I don't go out or yeah. I just wear some music, you know, because even though I came a long way, my brain can't still process that, you know, it's only fire, fireworks. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> particularly at your... At your younger ages are when you're developing all your natural instinct and reaction yeah that's hard it's hard to turn back no matter how rational you can be now of oh it's bonfire night still <laughs> you're the feeling and the way your body and mind and heart will react is that this isn't a safe s- a situation there's yeah, something it wasn't. there's something wrong here yeah um 
so I understand at some point you were um, given the, the 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 idea of of, of being able to to make a living wage um, abroad in in Canada, um, yeah. And you were were given a passport to do this, which, unbeknownst to you, turned out to be Bucket. a forgery. And <laughs> yeah. So, so how did all that go? What was the process there? Because then uh, you've you've done all of this, and yeah. now you're back in their office, yeah. essentially being told that you're a criminal <laughs> for attempting to survive and have a living wage. Yeah. I mean, the instinct to survive sometimes, you know, doesn't make you think, I think. Yeah, yeah sure. because back in the day, I think there were something um, going on in Canada. It was like a lottery or something, I don't know. But apparently Canada was uh, um, willing to pick up all the failed asylum seekers from the UK and other right. part of Europe and obviously I went in the internet with some other friends as well and you know among the community you always hear the positive story oh this one's gone this one but you don't really know the inside so I start linking with people but I think it was really like you know these <laughs> mails that they're sending you like you won one million you just need I didn't realize it was that yeah so, right so it's I, some kind of scam and con yeah. but again at that point when you're living <laughs> day to day and yeah. trying to, to, to uh, literally to survive it's i'd imagine a thing like that seems like a ray of sunshine yeah. and a real yeah. a real break but obviously it was because obviously i had a letter from the home office telling me that i did i exhausted all my right of appeal and i was a, um, a failed asylum seeker and i was now illegal in this country that i should actually um um leave uh, yep. the country or I will possibly be sent back so but they never told me how to leave and for sure I didn't want to go back so I tried yeah. to find my my own ways and by trying to do that obviously I find myself um, being arrested at Manchester airport and oh, wow. yeah and pff, that, that was it I mean for me for me that was the end of the, my journey as Rumel you yeah. know because I think I literally just die in there. I yeah. don't know how much somebody can take, you, you know. Yeah, so. I mean, after everything already to be, um, to, to, uh, to, uh, to be made to feel, or in fact, to basically be told in writing that you're the lowest of society, yeah. to then be taken out of society, to be that low that now you're out of society and in, 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 in incarcerated and in prison. Um, yeah. Unbelievable. There's only so much anyone can, like anyone, a, a human can take. Yeah. We have a lot of discussion on here about um, the need that all humans have for for some help in this life. I yeah. think we don't. People don't realise that we've built the world up and society up to be something that isn't really capable for a lot of normal humans. You need help. You need other people. So to have repeatedly had essentially. The, the rug pulled from under you that kind of everything had taken away it must have been tough so you were arrested at Manchester Airport and yeah. you were in prison for, for five, five months, months yeah. yeah and um, from what I understand it I mean having already quite rightfully suffered depression it all just got darker and darker for, oh yeah for I was very you... very I was a high risk prisoner for about three months because yeah. I was just suicidal really um 
what, what was it there left for me to leave for? Do you know what I mean? How yeah. long I have to wait? Yeah. Do you know? I, I, I didn't... The thing is, I, I grew up with parents that teach me a lot of values and mor- morals. And, um, I, I mean, they, they were easy options, to be honest with you. Um, I've seen friends, you know, if, if you could as well let yourself be abused by some people, like most of my friends did, you know, especially yeah. girls, very easy to find easy solution, like, you know, get pregnant by somebody or... Do you know a lot yeah. of people just did that just to have like the accommodation? Then you just go get pregnant, yeah, or um, you just let the old man abusing you all the time. Then it's easy for you to find a way of leaving. But I have I, I always had high values and yeah. you know uh, uh, morals as well. So I couldn't I couldn't uh, compromise myself into doing these things. And I think that's why um, life's been very hard for me up to that point but then it's crazy isn't it that the the fact that you aren't willing to just accept those things in in many way has seen you meet more and more boundaries along the way and more and more things thrown up in your way yeah because i don't think they realize what's going on because most of the young people we were with went in the street start selling drug and things like that do you know what i mean because obviously you need you you need to eat you know it's not everybody that has been accepted in a family to live with them. And even if a family accepts you, it's not their responsibility to take care of you. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, How long someone can put up with you? So uh, uh, prison for me is, you know, it was against everything that my my, my, my parent raised me for. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? How did I find myself there? What, what did I do? You know, yeah. all that for for what safety just because I wanted to keep leaving yeah. do, do you know what I mean or just for a, a, a desire for for basic human, human rights essentially right, yeah. that's all you've all yeah. you've actually done there is had that quest for basic human yeah. rights and yeah. now not only have you been denied them you, you've been imprisoned for that desire so yeah when you're in prison obviously things got um incredibly dark and you attempted to to take your life, which again is unimaginable, but it did also then put you into the care of the prison psychiatric team. Yeah. And was that in a way a blessing? Was that a helpful thing to help you kind it, of to, to give some guidance to have someone to try and actually t- <laughs> a, a, t- essentially to take it all seriously? It sounds crazy that you've got your story and people wouldn't take it seriously, yeah. but the fact that you'd been told that you'd failed asylum despite the clear story you have in your past it must have been a, a nice in a way to finally have someone go okay well let's try and help you to be honest with you um after going through the system i, I don't think your story ever <laughs> matter yeah, in, yeah. in in the whole process i, I don't think nobody cares it's words on paper uh, in, yeah. in that situation sadly it, it's just rules and regular because you know you can not have a story, but as long as you you ticking the box of the rules and regulation that yeah. set you, you have your papers. Do you know what I mean? I don't yeah. think nobody ever listened to any story because I think 
because most of the people fleeing usually have always a similar story mm. you know um they're fed up of listening they, they're not listening at all and that's why they bag everybody in the same you know they don't see the individuals anymore they just see the case number they just see the, the numbers of file on their desk and yeah. and that's it and sometimes they don't have time to go through it and especially i understand the day I went to court for one of my last appeal, when I saw the 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 size of <laughs> of my file, I understood that they they really don't have time for me, yeah. you know, because I had the file as big as this, you know, they, they don't have time, to, time go to go. For, to go yeah, that. The, I think the easy option is just to say no, no her. It's such a, <laughs> a sad situation that that it, again, in in many ways. Are you saying it like that? It makes it almost understandable on their side, which it shouldn't yeah. be because it's terrible, but it makes it almost understandable that if there's that much to go through on every person, it has to be more like this. But it, there should be a way that it can be on a case-by-case, person-by-person example. Um, uh, but, yeah. But I think it's all... I don't know. I don't understand politics. Yeah. I hate politics. I'm, I, I like human, human things, yeah. you know. Um, I think it's a bit like your GP. You, you might have a serious condition, but you've got 10 minutes to explain your symptom, and he's got 10 minutes to understand your symptom and, and give you a diagnosis. Do you yeah. know what I yeah. mean? But you need maybe more than 10 minutes to explain everything because it's the body. You can't just explain your headache yeah you know there's different kind there's of different headache, kinds of headache different do you know what of, i yeah. mean but you've got only the 10 minutes so therefore they might send you home and on your way home you die yeah. do, do you know what i mean but yeah. will you blame the gp not really he's got only 10 minutes that's, that's all he's got yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's 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 systematic rather yeah. than anything personal yeah. on that individual yeah um so they found you the um um, a, a lawyer at the legal centre found you a lawyer to, to fight Actually, your case. Actually, nobody find me uh, a lawyer. I want, oh, really? I, I want, I want. I mean, not them. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to say is again, I really want to encourage the and and um, how how to say raise awareness of the the support we we we, we get from each other as as uh, oh, wow. refugees community. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I think the support we get from each other is huge. It's where I suffer, I don't want anybody else to go there. Yeah. Or because I know the process, I'm, I'm going to try to guide somebody else to right. go through another process. And that's what happened, because it's actually my friends while I was in jail, because there were nothing else for me. My case was completely closed. Yeah, so again, were... again as, as essentially in prison, obviously outside, you'd already been told your case was done, you've, you've found asylum, but... But in prison, essentially, you don't de- deny, I guess, that you were guilty of the charges that they'd brought because yeah. you had an illegal passport. Yeah. That's not something. Yeah. So it's more you need to try and find some understanding and leniency from yeah. the judge to show yeah. this isn't this wasn't a criminal. This wasn't an intentionally criminal yes. action. This yes. was a criminal action, sure, yeah. but not intentionally criminal, yeah. and therefore. Just hope for some leniency. Yeah, that, that's where I was actually uh, lucky because what my friend—I mean, in prison, in, a, in, in for the criminal side of the crime I committed, I was guilty. There were nothing I could do, yeah. and uh, I mean, and yeah, that I, I got a solicitor to defend that, but. 
the day that I sat with the solicitor, it was just before court, actually. He did tell me, Romel, listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. You don't have a case. You're guilty. There's nothing absolutely I can do uh, uh, about you. And today we have a very tough judge. But what I'm, I'm going to try to do for you is to explain, you know, explain, um, kind of try to find a soft spot in the judge's yeah, heart. To find some to, compassion. Yeah, compassion to show him why you committed this crime. He said, I don't know if it's going to work, but we give it a go. Mm. And uh, he did try. He did tell the judge. He started by telling the judge, well, we, we're guilty. We don't have no defense. But before uh, uh, you put a, judge, uh, a judgment on my client, I, I, I wanted to ask. It has nothing to do with this court. But I just want to ask if you can give me permission to... Um, present uh, a, a case and show you why she committed this crime and he explained how I was under section 55 no support no nothing and the judge was shocked why I got shocked it's as if like even themselves in the system don't always know what the home office no. was doing because that judge was really really shocked and he asked the home office but how is she supposed to, to leave yeah yeah. Uh, they didn't have an answer. The judge said, you push her into crime. I'm even you astonished. You all other yeah. options. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm even astonished she didn't come in front of me for something else because I wouldn't be astonished if she, she starts selling drugs or yeah. do something else. And they just start telling the judge where she was under Section 55. Yeah, okay, but how is she supposed to leave? Mm. Do you know? And it was only based on that because it's telling you you have to leave, but also telling yeah. you you can't leave because you'll yeah. be arrested because you've not got yeah. So passport. It, it's crazy. Yeah, it was only based on that. So, that. do you think that in 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 many ways, I guess, finally, your moral standing worked in your favour because the fact that you hadn't turned to selling drugs or turned to to, to criminal activities in that context was a shock to that judge. So, I guess that worked in your favour, and you ended up getting released into into the care of a friend's house in, in Leicester, was it, I believe? Yeah, yeah. Um, in Leicester, my friend put all the, the, the money together for the bail and I've been granted bail and released to uh, the care of a friend in Leicester, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and, and the bit that really, again, we've taken a long time to get to it, but the <clears> bit that we're going to go through the journey, but I just need to highlight the, the, the dates and statistics here, that in 2010... You were finally granted refugee status, and with that, now with refugee status and under in given a decent chance, in 2013 you graduated (laughs) from Nottingham, a a Trent University, with a degree in biochemistry. Tell us about that a bit. It's mind blowing that you were here for for seven years because of the way the system was and unable to develop or grow in any way. The moment you were given the slightest chance to to earn your earn your place here earn your way you've excelled so so can you t- t- tell us about that a little from um of i guess for size how quickly was it from when you were released that you were granted a, a refugee status um oh 
That was about three years later. Yeah, yeah. yeah about three and a half years later. And um, but at least at this point, when released, you were, were were living with a friend and in a slightly more stable situation. Right? Yes, but uh, it didn't really work out, and okay. uh, I, I was again back in the street, but wow. not for too long, because then you know God sent me angels, yeah. you know, with some red cross on. <laughs> right. So, yes. Yeah. This is where you, you met the British. I met the British Red Cross. Of, in Leicester, and they gave you some guidance and helped you kind of go. Well, they here's, turned my here's life around. That's amazing. They, they turned my life around. They, they supported me and uh, directed me through the right support. You know, the doctors and everything. And mentally, morally, they were there for me, and they offered me as well a position as a volunteer. So every day, I had something to live for. Yeah. to do and Again, that's, that's a simple thing of having a status as a volunteer essentially yeah. to give you that 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 something to live for other than just surviving until the next day yeah you it's know, just that, that i can at least answer when people ask me what do you do yeah yeah you yeah. know i can say oh i'm a british, british red, red cross, cross volunteer yeah you know and uh, yeah and then you learn a lot most of the skills I learned with them are helping me with my job today. Yeah. You know, like they put me through a lot of training and uh, all that's uh, helping me today as well. Yeah, yeah. and uh, everything that just, again, as we've highlighted numerous times, I'd imagine it would come on, it'd help you come on leaps and bounds and understanding the society and the different rules and regulations of the of the community. Obviously, you would have got a lot of that from from... A, a living here in, in destitution, essentially, but at least having that guidance and that and that team to teach you, yeah, uh, the ways f- forward. So, tell us a little bit about a degree in biochemistry. How does that come about? That's amazing. <laughs> well, I always loved science. I'm really passionate about <coughs> science, and uh, I always wanted to further my education. When I first arrived and went to college in 2003. Because obviously I always try to do something and not just let myself yeah. sit down. I did an access to, sci- uh, to science and technology with Liverpool College. Um, but then after that, I couldn't do anything. So I started doing all the little courses, music classes and everything. Wow. But I always wanted to further my education. So um, I couldn't because obviously I didn't have the status. But I keep pushing and dreaming of doing it and... Uh, the first opportunity I had, I just went for it, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And to have the drive to keep doing that, despite how everything keeps going wrong and I being thrown in your face. I didn't anymore. The good thing is I talk a bit a lot. I think you noticed <laughs> that's that. Great. That's great. It's great. It's handy. Um, talking to all the people who's been supporting me for years, uh, they knew my dream when I first arrived. And the good thing is they are the people who keep holding my dream for me and reminding me what yeah. I wanted to do. So they've been my reminders all the time encouraging me and I'm someone who, who's got faith in God and I keep as well that faith in God that God cannot fail me, God cannot fail me I, and yeah. I believed in it so much that I always keep my eyes open for the day you will actually just open that window for me and just jumped into it really. Yeah that's <laughs> amazing and truly I jumped into it to get your degree and, <laughs> and to have all that so so what is your job now? You work um, as a carer for 
for Medax, right? Yeah, I work for, as a carer for Medax and I take care of the elderly people, young people. I do uh, mainly, um, um, is it according to people's home? Right. Yeah, I, I prefer that setting rather than working in a home. Yeah, so home uh, visits and yeah. helping people. Um, yeah. Is it a, re- a re-enablement? So it's helping them to start to do stuff or to help them do stuff themselves or is it, um, is it just strict caring and just yeah yeah it's really any support depending on the care plan is any support they need you know some sometimes it's from their personal hygiene to cooking to just sitting chatting house, yeah, assisting amazing. with their meds you know doing a bit of cleaning ironing and everything so it's really everything that yeah. they the need doing again yeah. I, I guess you've got a, you're you're so beautifully qualified for that just because of the fact of of of, of experience in life are without the basic things so realizing yeah. that these elderly people suddenly haven't got the communities and the society so often some of the time the main thing that that person needs is a conversation yeah is someone to sit down yeah. and ask how they are and yeah. engage with them and not just clean them up and yeah. send them on their way do you know yeah. what I mean to yeah. actually engage yeah. and, and, and care that's yeah I think that makes a difference as well because at my job uh, my employer actually they've got like a problem with me at the moment right. is that most of the places they send me the client just wants me to come back so doesn't want uh, anyone else yeah you're, so you're it's too good yeah it's, it's not I don't think I'm too good. It's just I think the attitude is different. Yeah. Because people can can feel when you really care with your yeah. heart and when you're just doing your job. And I think that's the difference, maybe. Do you ever talk to, to them about your life and your no. experiences? You just keep it, yeah, quite <laughs> rightfully, just keep it to... To be honest with you, Pete, is, um, listen, I spent eight years in a system where I've been looked down. I couldn't tell nobody who I was. Yeah. Simple question of uh, what do you do? You know, um, the British culture, when you first meet somebody, is hello, how are you? Very polite British yeah. people. Second qu- question is usually where are you from? Yeah. You know, and the third question is what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. That question always come, you know, and yeah. for, for years I couldn't an- answer um, uh, uh, that question. Yeah. So now, or when even you can answer is the way people look down at you. And, you know, I still don't feel like, you know, safe to say some yeah. stuff, but is what I don't want anymore. And I think that's what I'm fighting so much to achieve is I really don't want anybody to look down on me anymore. Yeah. Uh, do you know what I it's, mean? I think it's beautiful that you've now got to a point that the the final p- polite question there you listed that you would have wanted to avoid for so long is now the one that you sh- should be looking forward to. So yeah. when they're saying, oh, what are you doing here? Going, well, I've got a degree in biochemistry. biochemistry. Um, <laughs> I look out, I change people's lives every day. I look after people, I care and, and yeah. assist. So, so I mean, are, are we coming up to the hour mark? So I'll start to wrap things up. But what's ahead? What's the, the plan for the future? You're still doing a, a lot of work with the Red Cross and I've got a few mm-hmm. projects with them. What do you plan to do with your, your biochemistry and everything else? Or are you um, happy with... Oh, no. I love doing care. I think I'll be doing that even as uh, volunteering or, you know, side job. But uh, I've been trying for the past two, nearly two years to find a job in the biochemistry. But yeah. at the moment, it's not easy. But I think I've yeah, come a long way. I keep yeah. believing that God will see me through. So yeah. I'm like, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I don't know when, but I'm sure I will. If, if ever there's a case for, for the strength of belief, it's this. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of people who say, 
there's a small chance of getting this career in this, but yeah. from where you were to where you are now, yeah, that's it's the odds the were, were tiny. So yeah, the fact is now easy. You can be a top top biochemist. Really, I just want to go into the science. Really, it's, yeah. it's beautiful. It's, yeah. yeah, and again, it's, it's beautiful that all of that. Um, coming from someone who was essentially told by, um, in writing, essentially, that you're of no worth to this country. Yeah. And so many people... I mean, it would have been a lot regardless to have achieve, achieved this, but to have achieved this having been told you're of no worth to us just is all the more astounding and impressive to me because so many people would, would have gone... or would have believed them. And so many people would have believed them when they told you you weren't worth anything to our great country as such, you know, but yeah. you didn't. You kind of said, no, I I really am and I'm going to go out and prove that. And I don't think I now. really did. I think I've been lucky through my journey. As I say, um, anybody out there, you know, the good thing is to talk because most of us, we are reducing silence and because they're reducing us in silence, we usually shut up. Yeah. But as you see, I, I like talking. You like talking, and, yeah, uh, and, and I'm very stubborn as a, as a character. And the good thing is I've been shouting for help all through my journey. I never stop saying I need help, I need help, I need help. Yeah. And I've been lucky enough in the system to always meet up with services or service provider, you know, like charities or anything, who actually always go behind their job. Yeah, you know, yeah. who, who listened to me, hold my dreams, saw my passion. And when I didn't believe in it, they were there to say, hold on, we carry you. You don't have to carry it. Let, let us carry it. You just hold on, you know. And that's, that's how lucky I've been. But I wouldn't be lucky if I didn't talk to somebody. See, you yeah. have to talk to someone. See the doctors. I've been involved with... Um, um, Counselors and uh, uh, um, psycholog. Uh, how do you say psychiatric? Yeah, psychiatrist. Yeah. yeah, and and you know all that doctors. Everybody, I've been seeing them for years, and even up to now, I'm on the other side when I still feel the need because it's a different pressure now that you know you have to learn. You have to learn to earn money when you never you never managed money before yeah, sure. do you know what I mean yeah, you have yeah, to course. learn to manage your own space like simple things like buying your gas and your electric because you never did it before yeah. it's all the things paying your bills that you never did before and uh, when I can't cope I always ask for help yeah. and go see the appropriate person it is important to get the help because there is help there and most of the charities, you know, they're not forcibly guided by the government. So obviously they can do a bit more for you than uh, whatever the home office yeah, can yeah, or of can't do for you. Very important. I mean, that's great. I, I've, I've been doing this podcast a while and we talk a lot about um, the, the... I'm very passionate about how it's acceptable to ask for help and people get in the, in the wrong mindset for that. I've also been doing... Sp- spoken word and write everything for years but I genuinely can't sum that up any more beautifully and perfectly than you have at the end there so that's the I think that's the perfect ending to just explain that it's okay again it's okay to ask for help it's fine and it's you everyone needs help in in many many areas it's not that simple so yeah I want to thank you hugely for coming on and and sharing your story and for enriching our country with, with with everything that you're bringing at the moment so thank thank you very much thank you for having me cheers
You've been listening to Scrooge Picks Discretion Piece. Really hard to know what to say after that. Um, as I, th- this is this this um, episode is probably the one I've been most nervous about on my way there. Um, generally, I interview people I know quite well, or at least. I know of, or at least I know, are used to talking and used to being on record on on I don't know in on on, on under public scrutiny as such. Actors, comedians, um, even the scientists and mathematicians and people I've had on are people that are used to to speaking publicly. So I didn't know what how Ramel would handle that. Um, I also didn't know um, if what she'd be comfortable talking about um i thought one of my favorite things was a point where she said kind of about the stuff that went on um at home in the in the democratic republic of congo um there was a point where she said you know i'm not going to go into that because there's no need to but you know we all know that there was dark things going on and i'm not going to give intricate details on that and that was brilliant for me because one of the things that annoys me in this world is our our need particularly with social media to share the gruesome details of things unnecessarily uh, uh, you know if you know I always remember I've I've, I've deleted f- a f- a friends in the past on, on Facebook which as I say that out loud it sounds like I'm marginalising this but you know in the scheme of things I'm not saying that, that, that deleting friends off Facebook is a big deal but I've deleted people off Facebook um, and, w- and one example was when the the court case was going on for um, Ian Watkins from the uh, uh, Lost Prophets, who, you know, FYI, is a horrific human, in my opinion, um, and did some horrible things and tried to do some horrible things. But we knew the gist of what he was charged with and accused of. So when people were sharing the court notes of the exact intricate and gruesome and repulsive details of what went on not in a a celebrating way in a oh my god i can't believe this it's so horrible to read it's well don't read it and don't share it is my opinion i think we've got a weird thing in society of this kind of grief porn or horror porn in that way where it's some level of you know yeah i don't know why would you want to engage in that and know any further details so i thought that was great um from Ramel, I thought that was an awesome, yeah, an awesome stance and thing to take. But equally, I thought she spoke so openly on so many things. And yeah, as you saw by the end of the story, you can see exactly why she's so inspirational and comfortable. And it's it's that kind of part of her character, I think, the refusal to sh- shy away from who she is and what she believes in, that she's she's had success and is a fucking got a degree in biochemistry, for God's sake. Um one of the most educated and qualified people I've had on the podcast, I think. So, yeah, truly amazing. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, number one, the priority, I would ask you to share it with people. Push it about. If there's if there's any blogs or groups or anything on, on Facebook or anywhere else that you think this would be relevant, I'd love it if you could post this on there. Or even if you've just got friends who you think it'd mean a lot to, word of mouth, the recommendation of a friend is worth so much more than a big marketing budget. Incidentally, we have zero marketing budget. So thankfully it's worth more because it's all we've got. But yeah, if you can share it, it'd be great. But also, um, 
if you enjoyed this and this is your first listen have a browse through our our guests i'd recommend um just because of the inspirational angle of this story um i'd recommend for example the the gal porter podcast a few weeks ago where she talks hugely openly about her battles with mental health obviously her alopecia um all sorts of things i mean that's a two-parter part two is the one that seemed to get a lot of people's heartstrings pulled part one was just a lovely chat so both are worth listening to um Jodie Ann Bickley is a great one, uh, a young lady with an amazing story. Um, she got a, a bitten by a tick and it caused basically her brain to just blow up. You know, that sounds, I'm not, that's not the exact medical technical terms, but she basically had s- serious brain damage from this and had to relearn everything in her life and change the way she, as she lives. And in the moment of being bed bound and, and and you know at her lowest instead of ending it as you know is naturally to be considered she, she decided right I'm bed bound but I'm a writer I'm a spoken word artist I'm you know I'm a nice person um I can I can I use this and she started a project called one million lovely letters where she wrote she basically set it all up on, on Facebook and on the internet to say look if if you know someone who needs a lovely letter you let me know and I'll handwrite it and 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 and, and maybe p- p- put a smile on their face or brighten up their day. So, yeah, some absolutely amazing ones on there. I mean, we've also had people like Russell Brand. We've had Billy Bragg, uh, Simon Pegg, Stuart Lee, um, Killer Mike, Sage Francis. There's so many good people um, on the podcast. So go back and check a few episodes if you wish. Otherwise, we will be back next week with more wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guests. Um, thank you for tuning in, guys. I'm Scroobius Pip. You can hit me up at Scroobius Pip on Twitter and Instagram or facebook.com slash Scroobius Pip. Hopefully I'll see you next week. Subscribe, all that good stuff. Rate, review, share. Thanks for listening.